welcome back to the Go Within podcast. This is episode 33 and uh, we're continuing with this month's theme of mental health and today I have invited a registered counsellor, Santina Camilleri, who has been working for 21 years in the field of drug addiction and I felt it was a really great topic to bring this month. We've spoken already about burnout, transpersonal psychology, and I feel like addiction is something that we really need to talk about. And it's something that I've passed through myself. I had obviously my own addictive behaviors, as we all do. And I feel like facing them, talking about them, working with them has been a really key part of my own go within journey. And this is why I wanted to invite Santina here. I came across Santina randomly, I tell the story as the podcast starts, but I just really love her perspective because she's very open to a more holistic approach to the way that we look at addiction. And I think this is really important. And I think times are changing, the way we see our mental health is changing. And I think a holistic approach, which empowers us to take responsibility for our own mental health and well-being is, is just so needed. So... I hope you're going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Santina's a really, really lovely person. And I really love to hear what she has to say from so many years of experience working in the field. So here it is, my conversation with Santina. So welcome, Sant. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. Thank you for taking the time to come for this chat. My pleasure. Um, so the, the reason why I was inspired to have this chat is actually because I very randomly started following you on Facebook. I don't even know how. And I just love what you post on Facebook. In fact, I'm always screenshotting and sharing your posts because they, they struck a chord with me, like your way of talking about particularly addiction, but just generally mental health and, and you know, the way we can organize our lives and understand ourselves to be happier. I really related and resonated with a lot of the things. So I said, okay, I'm curious to get to know more about this woman. How does she have these uh, awesome perspectives? And then obviously I found out about the work that you do um, with addiction. And I think it's a really important topic for us to discuss as human beings and as a society in general. Um, me personally, it's something that I also passed through in my life. So my own work on my own addictions made me realize how important it is for us to address these issues in our personal life so it's even more appropriate because it's mental health awareness month and something i often say is when it comes to mental health we very often focus on kind of the extreme cases of people who have you know diagnosed disorders <clears throat> or whatnot but the reality is we all need to be thinking about these things so yeah I don't know where you want to get started, but... Um... I'm trying to think where to start from. <laughs> um, well, okay, let's speak about addiction in general, first of all. Um, I honestly, as an approach of your mental, depending on the intensity of mental health, I'm not too happy about the way we approach addiction quasi I came to the conclusion how society sustains it to a certain extent um, enough take alcohol take at the moment we have the marijuana so that is one thing I'd, I'd like to talk about the way 
do we do we help to cure it or do we um, instill it or are we trying to do both at the same time I'm not sure yet two I like to mention as well which you don't hear a lot of the mentality and the culture that one lives in because when we come to at least Malta and my own, my experience is only in Malta I have to admit that people are everyone knows everyone it's like one family, basically. It's amazing, you know. Um, so, I don't know, the shame maybe that goes with it, the stigma that goes with it. Um, so that's something else I don't hear a lot about. Um, also, we focus a lot on drug addiction. And... Uh, it's amazing till today. I mean, my, my full-time job is still in addiction and even my part-time, nearly. Um, okay, I'll stop the drugs and I'll be happy. I'll stop the drugs and problem solved. So even the family, kind of, uh, let's just say it's their son. The problem is the son. Um... So if the son kicks his habit, we can live happily ever after. In <laughs> fact, in private practice, when they come in, um, so for example, you have the mother and the daughter, or the mother and the son, I'll honestly be reflecting back a bit, thinking, shall I attempt to take the mother as a client? or? Uh... So once there is the drug, and drug is very in your face, you know, it's very wrong or very whatever you want to call it, that person confirms to society that he is the problem. And once you stop the drug, you realise that the drug taking was the solution. And I know people get a fright when they hear this. And I'm a great follower of Garbo, and when I heard him say it, I thought, okay, finally, someone's saying it somewhere. <laughs> um, and I remember saying it to my ex-director, and he was like, what do you mean? And I said, yes, it's not the problem, it is the solution to the problem. So that's another aspect maybe that we don't talk about very much, you know. And when you stop the drug, uh, the client carries so much pain and so much obligation. I owe so much now to my family um, because I have done so much damage. And you nearly see the... I find abuse a bit harsh. Um, I can't think of a better word where the family system and even society keep on kind of um, stepping on those boundaries, if you like, of the ex-addicted person now. Enough if it's a job, for example. Um, if it's a relationship, I owe so much now to my wife. I did so much harm to her. And fair enough, they did harm. But not exactly to another person, I think to themselves most of all. So they come out with this um, pending energy to 
pay back in the good now, you know, um, and get carried away. And for every normal, if you like, mistake or, uh, I'll give you a stupid example really, uh, the sun comes in after a long day with red eyes, okay? They pound on him, you know, um, obviously out of their own fears that the sun probably, probably relapsed and it won't be the case. Um, so that's another aspect of addiction that I don't hear a lot about. Another thing I like to, to ask is, when we ask Christians is, whose need is it? Okay, because you have the mother fluttering away <laughs> about her son, obviously wanting to reduce her own anxiety levels and putting all the responsibility on the person using drugs. If he stops taking drugs, I will be happy. That is something we find a lot in, in the culture of Morty's families. You know, I'm depressed because you did this. And then uh, the wife says, I am worried because my son and everybody places the responsibility of their own happiness on the person next to them in the family system. Which... I'm guessing it's probably a pattern that starts actually before the drug use, right? It starts way before the drug use. Um, in fact, if you see any family, I, I, I can reflect back on my own, everybody finds their own way to carry it. Um, but the drug seems to be the only one that's wrong many times. So you get one person going to work from morning to night, the other one gets married at a very young age and flippers off um, and you might take the drugs or the alcohol but everyone's just escaping that painful reality speaking about painful realities I think we have a great misunderstanding of pain um, so if we talk about anxiety it's wrong if we talk about sadness, it's wrong. If we talk about, I don't know, mixed feelings, it's wrong. There's so many wrongs that it's mind-blowing, really, you know, that unless you um, are okay, I, I don't know how to explain it. So we, we have these good emotions, bad emotions, uh, anxiety is bad, happiness is good very judgmental on our own selves. But I think the words we pick, and people tell me, oh, son, you know, we're going to stay picking words now. <laughs> yes, we are, you know, because um, people say, don't cry, you know, um, come on, it will pass. Uh, take a volume, take this, take that. And it, it, it just doesn't work. Um, I think when we feel emotions, which are energies in us, we are the first to automatically judge them and place them in these weird boxes of right and wrongs. And I think that is the first massive mistake we make to start the, bo the ball rolling into that direction, whichever way we're going. Um, 
So that's another thing I don't find much talk about, you know, in the approach of therapy, if you like. I mean, really and truly, we're not taught how to deal with our emotions at all in our entire education. It's sort of something that you have to figure out and you mainly get taught from your parents who are teaching you without knowing, <laughs> mostly just from their own. I, I used to think um, it was just my family, but you find it, again, I'll say in our culture, probably in other cultures too, when I think about um, clients I have in private practice who aren't Maltese, emotions were nearly out of bounds. Um, there was no space to talk about how you felt. It was petty or uh, extra. Um, deal with them, I mean, definitely no space in the... Now, if you can't go home and speak about that, where, where are you supposed to go and find your safe space? And I think drugs offers that, a very safe haven where, ah, you know, in Maltese you say, Alleluia, finally. It's like someone picks up their first drink. Um, giving a sense of comfort, I think. And we are moving so fast, further and further away from this no one has time to even say hello, how are you? They say, how are you? But if you had to say, I'm not well, then they'd get all confused. You have to say, I'm okay. And they, they, they just don't have time for anything. They don't have time to chat. Um, I, I admit, I, I find myself on this roller coaster at times. They don't have time to go to the bathroom. They don't have time to eat. So we're totally ignoring this whole functioning of our bodies on this marathon of I have to do, I have to achieve, I have to be, I have to become, and it's very tiring. Now either maybe my old age is <laughs> creeping up on me, or finally, you know, I'm just accepting this is not the speed limit I would like to go myself. Um, but it's very, very difficult for people <clears throat> to stop and listen, even to themselves. They hate it. It gives them the, 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 the creeps. <laughs> um, and I think when, when I mention this, and it came out lately in a few in a few group sessions. Um, people don't like stopping and being silent. I think there is a uh, what can I call it? An abyss of like my meaning in my life and what am I doing and what am I after? And the question I think of dying comes up. And I did a two groups, and I my intention was to do more, but we got interrupted. Um, so people are like, in my in my opinion, I might be wrong. Running away from this topic of death, no one wants to talk about it. It's worse than the sex bit. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about death. You know, that's uh, we're all going there, and we're all run, trying to run the other way, and that's exactly how I see society. You know, it's like 
maybe if you get more money you might avoid dying or because that's the way people seem to live you know and they do get more money and they're on this ego thing where I think you know you're still gonna die someday so you might as well calm down and <laughs> get your ego in check yeah because <laughs> um, but that's the way I see it and I think at the speed we're going now um, I'm not surprised at all at, at why people take drugs. Um, I can totally understand it. It uh, provides a lot of comfort in the world we're living in. And I only see it maybe... I mean, there is a lot of beauty in life, but I think uh, it takes a lot of awareness to get there. If you're just speeding around like many people do, it's very tiring. I mean, I totally agree with everything you just said. <laughs> I think um, along my journey, I got to that point where I was like, okay, I need to just be. And I ended up in, in a meditation center in Bali, doing five hours of meditation a day. And you really come face to face with your mind in that moment. And it's bloody scary, right? What comes out, like you have to face a lot of your fears, your insecurities, your real feelings, which you've been kind of, you know, go, mm-hmm. go, go, running away from. And it is a bit sad that we're not supported to learn how to do this because it is a skill. And I know me myself, like that, as you said, I did use certain things as a sort of blanket to comfort me from the reality of facing all of this stuff. Um, and I was lucky that I found a safe space to support me to go through that process. But not everyone does. Um and I love that the fact that you mentioned death because I really believe that it's something that we need to talk about. I remember when I was young, I was very scared of dying. And I used to lie in bed at night, close my eyes, hold my breath, and try to imagine what it would be like to not be there. And then I used to panic and be like, ah, and get really freaked out. And I remember being a child and asking adults in my life, sort of, how do I deal with this? And I remember one saying, like, I'm, I'm scared of dying. Um, and this particular person said, don't worry, by the time you grow up, we'll have figured out a cure for death. So you don't need to worry about it. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I laugh now, right? And then the next, the next time I was like, if you're scared, just say the rosary. Um, which was also like, probably if I did that now, it might be more helpful than then at that time when I had absolutely no spiritual experience, spiritual connection or whatnot. And looking back now, I just think it's so funny that, you know, I was a child and I think many children actually think about these things and it's almost like the adults around them who don't have the answers or or, or the tools to help them sort of make peace with it mm. themselves. I think there is a lot of um, avoidance in it. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever been in a conversation where someone said, let's or it just happened. I mean, it provides in people, at least, when even when someone dies, a certain, um, what can I call it, ritual on what you're supposed to say. Um, and it stops there, it gives a heaviness in the air, and that's it. We'll very quickly um, try and change the topic. And I think we need to speak about it a bit more. We need to, as you rightly said, I I remember my education at school. I think it has come a long way since then, but there are skills that no one teaches. Um, 
I don't know if school is the right place to teach. And these are skills where I don't know how to explain. I always tell my clients, when you leave the, the room, it is not a skill you're going to observe in our society. So, um, like I like to focus a lot on being in the present moment, which also means letting go <clears throat> of your past. Because if I am, for example, anxious in this present moment, I will unconsciously bring up anxieties that are on the shelf and present it in my present moment without knowing. Um, so I tell them, like, when you go out, you are not going to see these skills anywhere. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> you might think I'm mad because I don't know you just don't see them I said if you if you want to observe maybe some present moment skills you either have to engage or observe a child under the age of about four because they're very present um, or an animal basically <laughs> unless you want to go in nature because after that you're screwed you know as soon as we learn I think the concept of time, um, there's a shift in our energy, I think, where um, we don't remain, remain present. We don't live in the present moment. We ignore our bodies big time, big time. I cannot emphasize um, how chronic I see that. Um, there's never even, like I, I gave an example, no, I, don't, I didn't even eat all day. I'd be like, you know, I mean, what's wrong with people? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even go to the bathroom, I'm so busy. And I think these are all, let alone feelings, because these are physical. The body works very in the present moment. So if you're hungry, you're hungry now. You're not speaking about yesterday or tomorrow. If you need to go to the bathroom, you're talking about now. Um, so even those which are really basic and really pressing sometimes that people just ignore and they expect not to get unwell, which is very um, impossible, I think, you know. Uh, we have a tendency as well, I know I'm mentioning a lot of things, but um, to separate a lot the mind and the body. And I think that is a big mistake as well, because one feeds the other. And I think the body is a precise clockwork we have. It um, gives you the exact timing of everything um, in the present moment. And we need to live more over there. I call it the penthouse. Or in Maltese, I call it the Kasha Marida. <laughs> okay? <laughs> When I explain it says to a clients. Lot. <laughs> so I said, it's like you have, you know, a block of flats with a penthouse and we're all living in the penthouse. Um, it's time to come down to the ground floor, basically. Um, take more notice of our bodies. I totally agree. It's, it's something um, I think that we're so good at compartmentalizing and almost oversimplifying problems. Like going back to addiction, the problem is 
the taking of the drugs as opposed to the problem is much more holistic really the pains that we feel the disconnection from the mind and body our environment and it's so easy to just cut off a little chunk and say like very surgical and say you know sort of that is the problem it doesn't work like that because when for example um before they go to rehab okay they have the drug taking which is um the most prevalent one when they go to rehab because maybe i don't know because the drugs have been removed or because they are locked up for a while no one's going to see them or because another addiction comes out they start eating big time in fact once i did an experiment and i was sitting in the dining room and i called one of the guys and he didn't hear me and i kept calling and other people were hearing me and this particular person was not hearing me because you can tell he's not eating really he is just stuffing and stuffing and stuffing food nearly on a high and there is a disconnection to the environment when that happens now when you're on a high you're like there but not there <laughs> um and everyone was like looking around except this guy you know and i thought he's totally high on his food um so we need to address that besides not getting into there are certain foods that make you feel better and certain foods that make you feel lower i won't get into that but let's go in the second phase that i observe in rehab there's the food this obsession with food and then when they're coming out of of um rehab there is the body image the gym the girls the sex and all that starts emerging the food starts going down and they start um and we get stuck very often on okay i don't have the drugs i need my woman i don't live alone um i need a relationship to keep me going so it's one thing after addiction replacement <laughs> uh, and they they don't see it you know um and mothers they tell me kif hanim lal void they have this emptiness that they keep filling with something and they're not realizing that whatever is in the cup is irrelevant and society as well thinks this so it's very difficult to to unroot them from this belief um so they would say i haven't taken drugs for 2 years emal void talmara ferat en hossa so they're not realizing that once you put something in the cup and get so attached to it you're going to live in fear of losing it again and again and again they don't say okay leave it empty because it's getting tiring you know let me try and fill it up with things that at least belong to me not i have to take them from the outside inside to make me function basically as you end up a slave really whatever is in the cup whether it's something you know that's easier to see as destructive like a drug or whether it's shopping for the sake of argument um we're still a slave as you said to 
needing to sort of cover up that pain instead of just facing the pain and, and getting through it. No, I, I have a feeling that that emptiness, um, there could be quite a bit of, what can I call it, energy that, has, that is linked to dying. Mm-hmm. Um, that people try and cover up or move away or... Um, and it's not, I don't know, you, you get young people saying, oh, I don't need to think about dying, you know, I'm only 25, rightly so. But I'm not saying let's think about dying. I'm, I'm talking about, like, let's learn about it. Let's talk about it. Not actually dying, but losing the loss. If you lose anything, it doesn't have to be you. It can be someone you love. It can be um, dying. is not just about the physical body dying. It's about loss and... Um, Life is, and people tell me, son, that's really negative. I think, okay, whatever. But life is all about losing things, in my opinion. And again, I observe society and I think, like, which part am I getting wrong? Because we're always losing something, you know, physically, people, friends, family, our keys, our mobiles, whatever. We're always losing things. We're never really gaining. And if you gain it, you're going to lose it one day. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And people live like... It's gain, 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 gain. Um, Like avoiding maybe that sensation of loss. Even if you don't lose anyone around you, you're still going to lose, I don't know, your eyesight, the colour of your hair, something you lose. Now, if you're not going to get used to that, you're going to find it really, really difficult. I think it's really beautiful to expand the definition of death in that way. It's like, yes, and in fact, every day we are dying and being reborn in a sense. And um, I don't know, my, my personal experience, I had to face a lot of these questions in my own journey. Um, and my, my personal opinion is that we're going so wrong because we've disconnected ourselves from our spirituality and from our inner world. And I think it's very difficult to face the question of death if you don't have a sort of spiritual framework to support you in actually answering these questions. That's what mm-hmm. I found. I don't know. Yes, I think that. it. When we come to the Krishna of spirituality, um, at least in my experience, we get a bit confused. I'm going to speak in Morta because that's my only experience. What spirituality, what religion is, and um, the difference between the two. Spirituality for me is uh, something personal. Um, You can put religion or you can not put religion into it. Um, When it comes to dying, I think... (laughs) I, I might be a bit judgmental here, but do we just um, shrug off the responsibility onto God and the church and whatever and pray, but yet we're not really talking about the losses that we have to go through, even the phases of our lives? Or, um, I'm not, again, as you said, I'm not just talking about dying, dying. Um, losses, we lose. The addiction, that's a relationship. We lose uh, family members, we lose um, uh, 
so many things, you know. Um, one thing that helped me, for example, a great deal is literally chucking away the words I want in my life. Um, now, I'm not saying like, you know, I don't know, I want to go for a swim or whatever, but that like always wanting something more than I have. Um, I said, this has to stop, you know, because as soon as I think we reflect on that a bit, people learn how to appreciate a bit more. Um, it, it shifts totally. Because what happens, what I see, especially in addiction, is I'm never grateful. I always want more and more and more and more. And if you, if you manage to shift that and look around you and see what you have and be aware that maybe tonight I might not have just what there is around me, I'm not sure, um, then you can start shifting a bit into feeling grateful for what you have. And the shocks of life that I lose something that there is in, in my environment is uh, not so bad. I don't get such a big fright then when I lose something because I'm aware, I'm living my life that yes, I will lose something, something's gonna go at the end of the day. I don't know when, but it will go. And something else will come. Um, and something <laughs> else will come, and that is life, yeah. you know. Um, I think what I see is, is very much that sort of our problem with spirituality kind of starts with religion, right? Like, my experience, of, I can only say personally, but my experience of religion was very mental. It wasn't an experience, a physical experience that I could call my own. Um, and in fact, that's why prayer never really helped me deal with my anxieties about death or life when I was very young, because it felt like sort of a script that we're playing that wasn't really rooted in a real experience. And much later in my life, when I actually started to seek the spiritual experience, for the simple reason that even though there was a part of me that wanted to believe in spirituality, I couldn't until the point where I actually experienced it. Um, and when I did, it really changed my conception of what religion and spirituality are. Even religion itself, which, you know, many people get into spirituality, then they sort of say, oh, then religion is limited and it's not good and there's guilt and there's all of that. But through sort of my spiritual experience, I can actually see the beauty in religion when it's coming from an actual lived experience as opposed to this is something that I should do or that I'm told to do or that... I've always done, so I'm going to keep on sort of replaying it. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's sort of beautiful what you said about, you know, we can easily just sort of put the, relation, the responsibility onto God and, okay, I'm going to say my ten rosaries and then I'm going to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Or there is, you know, the different experience of it where I'm actually in my physical body and I'm connected to this moment and then I'm connecting to something bigger than myself. And mm -hmm. that's where then that emptiness and that pain actually you realise... It's not really there anymore. I, th I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense because it was very... Um, uh, okay, you did something wrong and then you can uh, say the rosary or whatever and you're forgiven. 
Han jag tänker han... Det var konvinient. Okej, det är gonna work. I'll keep doing it and saying the rosary and sinning and getting forgiven. And you hear people, oh, you know, son, God forgives you. Um, but you can sense the detachment both in the wrongdoing, if you like, or whatever it is that the person has done. And even in the forgiveness, there is like... Um, The experience is just not there. In addiction, this comes out a lot. Because um, I'm always ranting about what is the experience about? Um, and it's very difficult to... to. It's a big challenge for me in my job, for example. Um, so they would say... Now, it's either because in addiction, when you're getting high, you're high full stop, you're high, you know, you're either high or strung out, basically. So you get in this one mood, which is being high, spend years getting high. Um, usually we start getting high at a very vulnerable age where we're supposed to be learning all these skills and we're saying, oh, forget that, you know, um, I'm getting <laughs> high and this is much easier. High or not high, high or not high. <laughs> and when after many years of, of living like that, When you ask, even when you ask um, anyone who's been in addiction, are you, how are you, good or bad is all. Um, for them to express and describe the experience is very, very difficult. Very, very, very difficult. Um, they're lost. They, they don't even have the words to describe. Um, And we all know there must be an experience somewhere, somewhere in the person, but they're just not in touch. I mean, ironically, obviously, it. the drug taking is very much a coping mechanism to help you numb your emotion. And then obviously, the more you take it, the more numb you become. Till then, you need to give up the drug, but you're numb and you can't feel. And if you can't feel, then... The drug, the drug numbs the emotions, but unfortunately, and this is my opinion... Um, maybe not very welcomed, is even we live in a society that numbs our emotions. Um, and you see people getting more and more un uncomfortable with emotions. So if someone is experiencing um, a low moment, um, oh no, don't stay feeling low, eh? and now it will pass. That's very... Um, It's like no one wants to go there anymore, you know. Um, so it's uh, with the drugs we're numbing and without the drugs there's never like a safe place or a society um, or, or the time to actually listen to one another. I mean for me when I, when I stopped using drugs I was extremely numb um, and in fact It was quite a challenge when I started, because obviously the present moment, to be in it, you need to feel it. So it's like the medicine for the addiction is the present moment, but the addiction is stopping us getting to the present moment because we've become so used to not being there and escaping it. So it took quite a while for me to sort of recalibrate my body to actually be able to feel. It sounds crazy, but I actually had to go on a journey to teach myself how to feel. And of course, that involves safety and, and a lot of other things. We mustn't forget that in the beginning of addiction, there is the experience. Yeah. 
okay? Um, people will not remember the time they got high till the time it ended, if you know what I mean. There is an experience that is very difficult to explain. People say, what does it feel like? I don't know, you know, it's really <laughs> not something you explain. <laughs> Although there are loads of books about it, um, it's, I don't know how to explain that. Um, so, I think in a, in a in the beginning of, of this addictive or addiction career that we go on, the beginning is very, quite a, a experience. Um, and then I think when, when a person comes off drugs, we crave to go back there. There is a serenity in it. There is a peace of mind in it. There is a, I don't, not I don't care. Everything's okay. You know, whatever, if it's raining, if it's sunny, if it's, it will solve everything. There is this kind of coping um, and that peace with it. And I think when, when a person comes off drugs, they crave that. Um, unaware that they can actually get there without using any substances. The thing is, it takes um, time. It takes a it lot takes of time. time. And in the middle, you're sort of struggling. Not either. <laughs> right. In the middle, it is a struggle. In the middle, I keep um, highlighting the society we live in, the family structures we have, the obligations of the recovering person maybe having to give back to the family where we're just trying to to make sense and I like to describe it like um, uh, the VRT of a car no aligning our bodies back again but uh, I don't think it it's it's easy to do with the society that we live in Definitely. And the, and the pace we're going. Yeah. I had a really ex interesting experience once when I was sort of in my process of healing, self-discovery, if you want to call it. I remember there was a, a phase. I was abroad, I was in Bali, and I was in a, in a beautiful place, and everyone was happy, and everything was good. And I was feeling really bad. And it was very stressful, you know, because my mind was telling me, you should be feeling good. Everyone else is feeling good. You're in Bali, you know, you should be feeling good. And I was not. And obviously, the more I was pressuring myself to feel good, the worse and worse I was feeling. And I actually spent, I, I, I think it was about a week or 10 days in this really horrible state. Um, and one of the ways I got out of it, I'll never forget this, a friend of mine just told me, Maybe you're just so used to being high that sort of the simplicity of now feels like you're not happy when actually you are. You just can't feel it because you're so used to happiness being this big sort of dramatic thing. Um, and as soon as she said that to me, I was like, it's true. Like, can I be happy without the... And I don't mean high in the sense of a drug. I mean high in the sense of anything. Sort yeah. of excitement, drama, whatever it may be. Or drug, right? Am I so used to defining happiness as that, that now I've just forgotten how to be happy? It could um, be. And it was a really interesting experience because as soon as I realized it, I actually felt happy again. It's like I, I let go of now not being good enough and then I just felt happy <laughs> yes we get a lot of um, I like to call them 
inherited sentences that we learn about ourselves at a young age. And I always ask a client to try and find it or pick it out. So you'd get things like, that's a very common one, I'm not good enough. So here we are living our lives, not even knowing how we're going to become good enough. <laughs> and then you think, okay, I've managed. Uh-uh, still not good enough. And you keep going on and on and on and on. And it, it's, it is our default, if you like. And unless you pick it out, uh, I don't think it actually, you can, I don't think it's possible to actually throw it away like it never existed. But at least we try and carry it in our back pockets, you know, not in our in our faces, because it's very damaging. Um, we pick it up at a young age, like we pick up other things, and it's literally like um, having your shoes when you were three years old and trying to still wear them, <laughs> you know. It's like something from the past, which we're not realising is um, our drive, I think that needs to change, you know, in people's lives when they become aware of that because it's it's very tiring. Mm -hmm. And something, as you said, which I remember a client over Christmas. Son, it's Christmas. I'm supposed to be happy and I'm not. I said, yeah. You don't father Christmas, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it shocked him because... We have all these, you know, yes, Christmas is happy, Christmas is family, Christmas is there. And people get stuck in these societal pressures, not knowing how to, or maybe a sense of loyalty as well. I'm not, you know, I'm throwing this away, I'm dumping this, this is, this is a load of, you know, I'm not going to live like that anymore. And I'm going to be okay that I'm not okay on Christmas Day. Um, but it takes a lot of courage. Um, I think um, the loyalty towards their family is is uh, a challenge, at least it was in my life. So um, it's like untangling a ball of, of tight-knitted wool, you know, in our lives that holds us back every time, literally, like a puppet, and very long process as you said of cutting each one when you realize how it's hindering your progress in life you know um, i think anymore that's much more challenging um, than i abroad. think so, so I've too lived abroad for, for quite some years and what i see here is that the the pressure to remain the same and to not change is it's there and the pressure of all of these expectations and, and all of this in fact for me going abroad was a very big support in my own journey because I really had to be in a space where people didn't just see me as who they wanted me to be or who I had always been and that really gave me a platform to be able to experiment and try different things and, and actually say okay actually I can be like this um, yes and you get a lot of people in addiction unfortunately they either have to um, leave the island and try and get sorted somewhere else um, so there'd be a lot of traveling there or um, literally come hoping that no one sees them walking to the clinic and back um, because uh, Malta is very small. Um, <laughs> it is. We forget maybe how small it is. 
but uh, I think everywhere we go, you know, someone knows you or they think they know you, it's... Uh, it's very stressful. <laughs> it's very stressful for me. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying about society and this sort of... Um, the way society conditions us, in a sense, not to feel our emotions, to numb our emotions, and just keep sort of repeating these familiar patterns. Um, I feel like um, a few years ago I had gone through a period where I was very burnt out. Um, and ever since then I've had a real sensitivity towards the state of my nervous system like I can feel when my nervous system is overstimulated through that stress and even positive stress like overexcitement or being in places yeah. with very loud music for too long or um, and I feel like there is a very big connection actually within with the state of our nervous system and our propensity to use addictive behaviors to numb that I realize something very simple like when I'm when I feel like I'm not good in my body, I, I'm much more um, like going to that thing of scrolling on my mobile because I don't feel good in my body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And instead of sort of dealing with that and, and sort of, <laughs> you know, finding the way through that, it's very easy to just go to that addiction and yeah. numb yourself and forget how you feel. And I think it's, it's something that we really need to talk about a lot more because, I mean, obviously I have a, a background in meditation and meditation is all about actually the nervous system as well right we have the fight or flight or we have the rest and digest and so many of us are just so like tipped onto this fight or flight where it's harder to have control over your addictions because your physical body is not in a state but to the be awareness to be is not there um the awareness is not there and it's not just awareness i think awareness is, is at least in, in my experience a word overused um because these are skills and skills need to be practiced so it's not enough if you're going to hear someone talk about it and say okay um very good group Uh, you have to go out there and and start practicing to actually maybe over a couple of months start realizing the change but when it comes to what you're talking about the, the stresses in the body uh, I've done my, my fair part as well, and sometimes I still do it. Um, totally ignore my body, totally. And people don't realise, I think, um, that it's the body that is going to put pressure on you, whether to go on or not go on, or give you a pain here or a pain there. It's not the mind, you know. I literally, and I'll say it very confidently, the mind is a real sick thing, (laughs) you know. (laughs) It goes all directions and thinks of all weird things. I mean, I think, like, what the hell is this thing in me, you know. (laughs) I start having these very weird thoughts. I can't invest there. I can't spend my life there, you know. I can't. It drives me crazy. And literally, this is what happens. People come with these mega thoughts in them that then causes the body to to become really anxious and stressed or depressed because the body can't go at that speed. It's ridiculous. And that is what that is what I see in the society. I think there is a high percentage of anxiety and depression on this island. I mean, in fact, something I wanted to mention because you were talking about sort of how we sort of classify emotions and anxieties as bad but something I've noticed which is kind of interesting and slightly worrying to me anyway is that anxiety has almost become something of a status symbol now 
it's almost something that people are proud to say like gosh I have anxiety like there was the stigma before and maybe now we need to sort of go the opposite way to kind of come back to a, a happy medium the status is about being busy I love this I know oh, I'm too busy oh I'm too busy oh, I think oh my god like you know so do I have my busy days but um I don't know at least when I'm busy I say San knock out two days let's you know balance ourselves out a bit here. Um, stress and high speed definitely can give you a real nice kick in life, no? And uh, excitement and whatever, and it is very addictive, no? Um, the positive side of it, but still, um, I don't know, I find myself saying, Okay, let, let's let's calm down a bit now. Let's. It has a cost this. at the end of the day, like the positive excitement and the negative stress. The body actually. But people think that the stress comes, you know, like from nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they're not responsible. I have these thoughts come to me, and I think, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like even the responsibility themselves towards their stress, their illness, their thoughts. They're not realizing it's. It's them themselves. In fact, I wanted to mention this right at the beginning when you said sort of, we come in and we say sort of, you know, I have an addict son or daughter and when they fix themselves, I will be happy. So, and this is something, I mean, I'm sure you're sick to death of seeing. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, I think it's a really interesting topic for discussion because this idea of being responsible for our own happiness is something extremely challenging, right? And something that society is constantly telling us the complete opposite. The total, not just telling us, they actually live it then because, I mean, you hear it, then you think about it, then you believe it, and then you actually live it. And the person is going to believe that his behavior is going to affect his mother's depression, for example. He feels totally responsible. So it's not just about, listen, do you think this is the case? That is the case. That is exactly how he lives, Mm -hmm. you know. And it will work like that. This is how it becomes in a very codependent relationship. My son is happy, so I am happy. I remember um, a couple of years back, quite a few years back, Usually in um, a group of parents, I'd get mainly the mothers that come because the majority are are men in addiction. And I asked them how they were. And they replied how their sons are. (laughs) So I said, (laughs) I'll ask you again. So they told me again how their sons were. I said, okay, I'm going to try again. By this time, they were looking at me like I'm totally insane. I said, I'm not asking how your sons are. I know how your sons are. How are you? And they didn't have a clue. (laughs) They were lost. Totally lost. Like, what are you asking me? You know, so they can only identify themselves if the son is doing well, they're happy mothers. If the son came home late, they're anxious mothers. So there is, you see, then the, the son feels he owes so much to his... And that is so difficult to break. 
an addiction. I think that is one of the biggest challenges we have. And really, as you said, I mean, it's not just the addict, actually, that needs to do the work. I think we're all addicts in our own ways, Mm no? Um, I don't like to focus just on the drug. So if you see it like that, we need to take responsibility that our emotions and the way we feel is our doing. It's no one's responsibility to take care of me, Mm -hmm. you know? I think this is obviously something that is very interesting when we come to the topic of mothers in general. In fact, on the last podcast, um, we were having this conversation and how challenging it is for mothers to take responsibility also for the damage that they cause. Because obviously, their children are the things that they love the most in the world. But the fact of the matter is that even if you're the perfect mother, you've screwed them up in some way. (laughs) And I think the sort of strength that it takes for a mother to sort of face up to that and take responsibility for her own happiness, for her own behaviours, for her own patterns. I mean, I have a lot of respect for the mothers that do and do that. I think it's amazing. And I think we need to normalise this as well. So that mothers, because I think a lot of them really feel this pressure that they have to be perfect. And that they have to sort of live again up over to there. Although I don't have experience here, is um, the size of, of, of the island. No, um, I think if if uh, I think abroad, when you're eighteen, you need to go and work somewhere else, or you need to go and study somewhere else, and you just have to pack your bags and move on. And Malta, you can't do that really. I mean, or if you do, it's still twenty minutes away from home. Mm-hmm. So you never leave home, but you leave home. You know, so. <laughs> Or you go and live above or underneath or on the side. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Um, So we kind of still remain home, you know, although although we move on. So that is, yes, a very um, prominent thing in our culture, I think, where the the family is very enmeshed in. Mm -hmm. I think we have a lot of unhappy mothers as well, right? Obviously, historically, if you go back to sort of the way our culture... Um, developed where you know the primary source of a woman's happiness was her family and her household obviously that creates quite a dysfunctional platform really to build a healthy family on and I think it's not been an easy transition for many mothers to kind of go from that to not putting all of the needs of their happiness onto their family whether it be son or daughter or even husband or mother or mother-in-law or Family's changed a lot over the years. I mean, uh, definitely. Um, Again, I think um, not only the size of the island, you need to put in the intensity of our religion, our church, no? Um, Because if we speak about addiction, the mother takes the blame for it, you Mm -hmm. know? There's Mm -hmm. a lot of shame around it and... Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how to explain it. It's... um, in fact, uh, as I said, in groups usually the the, the mothers come along, the fathers uh, are very absent, and the mothers are too present, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 the dynamic is... Uh, I Interesting. I wouldn't open that topic today, <laughs> some other time. <laughs> We've actually been talking for over an hour already. It's really flown by. Um, so I think we can start to, to wrap it up. Um, usually I ask my guests, like, if there's someone listening to this podcast and they're really resonating with the topic and they're, they're thinking, okay, I need to go sort of on a bit of an inner journey. I mean, the, the podcast is called the Go Within podcast, so I'm always encouraging people to go within in all of the different ways um, that we sort of talk about on this podcast. 
to someone listening who's like, this all really makes sense, I want to get started, what would be anything that you could sort of share or point them in the right direction to? To start practicing maybe or... Uh... Literally anything, a book to read, a practice to do, a place to go, like literally anything that comes to mind. Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> it's all right, no problem. I'm, I mean, as you know, my favourite least at the present moment is uh, Garbo um, and I think um, he has a lot of books and I would well there are loads of books there is um, When the Body Says No I think that is the one that stays with me a lot because Such I'm still impressed book. with uh, my ignorance on you know I thought the body had n- not much of a say, <laughs> but it does, you know, mm-hmm. and I think if you pick up that book, um, it's a good start. Yeah, I second that. I absolutely love that book. So it's Gabor Mate, When the Body Says No. Really, really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sant. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. I hope we'll have a few more of these conversations. Anytime. Bye. And thank you to you, the listener, for joining us on this conversation. As always, if you find that this conversation could support someone on their own in a journey. This is why I do this, because I feel like it comes up very often that we can feel very isolated because, yes, it is a society that doesn't necessarily promote overly <laughs> well-being and, and sort of emancipating yourself in your own um, inner journey. So if you feel like this could help a friend, then please share it. And I also love to receive comments if you found any episodes or any part of episodes particularly helpful. Thank you and see you next episode.